one of the things I learned when I was studying was that there are many different learning styles and whilst I don't want to enter into the debate around them, uh, I do like um, the thinking around them. You see, there's, there's three sorts, they, they, there's three styles that are cited the most and they are visual learners. We've probably got a few visual learners here. They prefer to learn by looking at images. That's why we put things on the screen. Images and pictures and diagrams, films and videos. Others are auditory learners, people who learn best through the process of listening and talking. And kinesthetic learners who learn by doing, by touch and feel. Um, this type of thinking was very popular in the 70s and had a big influence on education around that time. Um, I pretty well worked out that if I'm an auditory learner, it has to be short. Um, I'm a pretty good visual learner, but I learn best by doing. Well, even if you don't follow the theory of learning styles, I think that when Jesus wanted to teach his disciples, both then and now, to understand what happened about that happened to him on that first Good Friday, he didn't give them a theory. He gave them an act, an act full of symbols, symbols of old but with new meaning. For visual learners, he gave them images, the bread and the wine. For the auditory learners, he gave them a new story, a story with a new way to understand Passover. And for the kinesthetic learners, he gave them something to do. Take and eat. Take and drink. Quite simply, really, but for those listening, it had far deeper meaning than I think that we realise sometimes. Firstly, we need to understand that they were celebrating the Passover meal. If you go back earlier to Luke 9, uh, 31, uh, when I spoke on that transfiguration some weeks ago, when Jesus was talking with Moses and Elijah, in verse 31, they spoke of his departure. The Greek word is exodus. Jesus came to do for Israel and the whole world what God did through Moses and Aaron at the first Exodus. You know the story of Exodus 12. The people of Israel were enslaved in Egypt. God acted to judge Egypt and save Israel. The sign of both judgment and rescue at the time was the Passover. The angel of death struck down the firstborn of all of Egypt and spared Israel, the firstborn of God, passing over their houses. Why? Well, you know, because the blood of the Lamb was painted on the doorposts. But as we have heard in recent weeks, judgment was hanging over, not the Egyptians this time, but the people of Israel, over Jerusalem. 
and Jesus would deliver his people by taking on the full force upon himself. His own death would enable them to escape. But what are they escaping? Well, a little later in Luke, in Luke twenty-two fifty-three, Jesus speaks of the power of darkness as having their moment. The powers of darkness, evil, is something. Its nature and power, we still don't really understand today much more than they did in Jesus' day. What I think we can say, though, is that if God's plan is about to be unfolded, then I am sure the forces of evil would have been doing all they could to try and upset those plans. What we do know is that Jesus was looking forward to celebrating this meal. It would seem that for Jesus, this was the moment when he would explain to his disciples in deeds and words rich and heavy with meaning, what he was about to do. Understand that for a Jewish person, what Jesus did in the midst of Passover significantly changed the meaning and yet continued them as well. According to the Hebrew lexicon, the term unleavened bread is derived from the word matzah, which means bread or cake without leaven. The lexicon also um, states that in turn that is derived its meaning from to drain out or to suck. In the Bible, leaven is almost always symbolic of sin, like leaven that permeates through the whole lump of dough, just as sin will spread in a person. So symbolically, what we have is bread without leaven, bread without sin. And Jesus refers to this bread as his body, a body without sin broken for you. But I also want to look at what I think is a little bit more intriguing in this, in this story from Luke. You see, when we read Luke's Gospel... One thing should strike you up up front. It's that Jesus starts the meal by passing around a cup of wine in verse 17. Only to have a second cup in verse 20. Yet when we celebrate communion, we only have one cup. I wonder if you've ever noticed, have you ever noticed that? That Luke says there's two cups? Well, According to Jewish custom, there are actually four cups of wine in the Passover meal that are all filled with red wine. Sounds like dinner at my place. (laughs) That red wine was to represent the blood of the lamb that was painted on the doorstop. The first cup, the first cup that Jesus gives to his disciples is what's referred to as the Kiddush, which means sanctification. It is the traditional way of getting ready or sanctifying oneself for the meal. The second cup in the Passover is the cup of plagues or judgment, 
It remembers the plagues that God sent in judgment over Egypt. But but it's the third cup. It's the third cup of the Passover that Jesus picks up and says, this is my blood. Not the lamb's blood, not the exodus lamb. This is my blood which is shed for you. This cup in the Passover is referred to as the cup of redemption or of blessing. This would have no doubt struck a real accord with the disciples. Jesus, however, calls this cup the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Jesus draws on something from Jewish tradition to provide insight not previously understood. By calling the cup the new covenant in my blood, Jesus makes a direct reference to the promise in Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 33, says, The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not, like, it will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke. Though I was their husband, says the Lord, but this, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law within them. I will write it in their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. God had declared that he would make a new covenant because the previous covenant had been broken. To violate a covenant agreement with God would surely incur his wrath and judgment. A terrible cup. But instead, God promised a new covenant of grace and salvation. Jesus declared that this new covenant would be poured out from the cup of salvation in his blood. The cup of redemption stood for more for more than the Hebrews escaped from Egypt. It stood for the plan and purpose of God for all the ages. Judgment and salvation, wrath and redemption are all brought together in the mystery of one cup. Explained by Jesus in the upper room. Jesus was not speaking of the cup in a purely symbolic manner. He was also describing the events that would soon occur in his own life. When the powers of evil do their worst and they crucify the one who brings God's salvation, God uses that very event to defeat those powers. We who daily, weekly or however often come together to obey Jesus' command, to break bread, to drink wine in his memory, find ourselves drawn into that salvation, that healing life, You know, the powers still rage, like Pharaoh and his army chasing the Israelites after the first Passover. But they are defeated. And our rescue, our rescue is secure. So this morning, I'm hoping that you will pick up some more of the depth and the meaning that those in the upper room would have. A new covenant, yes, 
soaked, soaked in meaning, our covenant and our meaning. Amen.